You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Uh, if you don't know me, um, it's nice to meet you. I'm Rich. Welcome to Redeemer. Um, we know we have new people here every week and people who are just visiting, so it's great to have you. Thank you so much for coming. We are in the third chapter of a book called Habakkuk, which is halfway through your Bible. You'll see my Bible here. It's kind of about halfway. It's quite difficult to find because there's not very many pages. And so we're in the third sermon of a three-part sermon series. And uh, Habakkuk is a prophet. And he's called a, one of the minor prophets. And of the 11 minor prophets, he's the one who talks to God. So the other prophets, they talk to the people. But he has this conversation with God. And it's a bit like we've got a copy of his journal. We see what he wrote and we see what God wrote and we see how he responds. And uh, so it's cool. Yeah, it's, he, it's this conversation going in. And I've tried to uh, put down the structure of Habakkuk on a slide. So if we can have the, the first slide. Habakkuk says... Why don't you do anything about the evil here? So he says to God, why aren't you doing anything about the evil here? And then God says, I am. The Babylonians are coming. And he responds, Habakkuk, by saying, how can you use those evil people, the Babylonians, to judge us? And God says, well, I'll judge them too. So that's what's happened up to now, the first two chapters, this conversation with God. And then the third chapter is this. Habakkuk says, I'll trust you. I'll find my joy and my strength in you, which is very similar to what Steve just said in his poem. And uh, that 11 words would be the record shortest preach if I just sat down now. So that's, that's the end. That's it. I've given you, given you what's happening in chapter three. Habakkuk says, I trust you. I find my joy and strength in you. Now, if you missed either of the first two weeks, let me just bring you up to speed. That is the conversation, but a little bit of background. The people that Habakkuk is praying for, so he, he's a prophet, part of his responsibility is to pray for the people of God. People that he's praying for, they are genuinely all over the place, all over the place. He's got so much reason to be angry and frustrated and despairing. And as he prays and writes it in his journal, he is those things. He's very frustrated. He's very angry. He's very sad and despondent. They are morally and spiritually corrupt. And then God is sending this army, the Babylonians, to invade and those people are also legitimately quite awful people. So he's got even more reason to be in despair. And so those are the first two chapters. And this third chapter, actually, the background for it is that Habakkuk fancies himself as a bit of a songwriter. So this third chapter is different to the first two in that he writes it as a song. And so he starts off at the, at the start saying, essentially, I'm writing this psalm. And then during it, he gives little annotations for musicians. And at the end, he says, make sure you do this with stringed instruments. So he's like, he's fancying himself as a bit of a songwriter. But his song in this chapter is his response to what he's heard from God. Now, before we read the passage, let me tell you, this chapter has a message for anyone here this morning who feels they're in a crisis moment. Um, so that might be you. You might be sitting here this morning and God has timed this morning's sermon for you if you're in a crisis moment. But there's also application for those of us who don't feel maybe that we're in a crisis. And the application is going to be about where we find our strength and where we find our joy. If you're new to church and you're just looking in, like I say, you're really, really welcome. There's something in this passage for you as well. And so we are going to address what does this say to people who aren't yet following Jesus. Okay, should we read? So we're going to read Habakkuk 3. We're going to start, for reasons I'll explain in a minute, in verse 13. It's going to come up on the screen. You went out for the salvation of your people. So this is Habakkuk saying to God, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. 
You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of the warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You, God, trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, so Habakkuk says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And then there's this amazing end of the song. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then he finishes, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Make sure you use your stringed instruments. He's like, no brass. Okay, so Habakkuk 3. Here's the big idea. I'm going to give you the whole sermon on a slide. I'm not holding anything back. You're just going to get it all straight out in one. The big idea is on this slide. Habakkuk has, at times, in this book, been in fear and confusion about the future. So he's over this side. He's anxious. He's fearful. He's confused. He's despairing about the future. But he ends, as you just heard, this book with a song saying that he has his joy and his strength in God. So those are polar opposites. And the big idea is that by digging into this chapter in Habakkuk, we can glean some lessons about how we ourselves can also move from any fear or confusion or anxiety about the future into having our strength in God and our joy in God. And not just how we can get there, how we can stay there. We want to live there. That's that's the goal, if you're not sure. sure. (laughs) We want to be over on that side of the screen. And Actually, as we read through the text, you'll see that trusting in God's faithfulness gets us there and keeps us there. Trusting in God's sovereignty and his timing, it gets us there and it keeps us there. Because trusting God's faithfulness, his sovereignty and his timing diverts our joy and our strength away from our circumstances to having joy and strength in God. That's the whole sermon. But let's dig into it and find and glean some of these points to help apply them to our own situation. So we'll start with the text itself. We see Habakkuk. He's got loads of reasons, as we say, to be fearful and confused. He thinks about this enemy army that's coming, and he he says, I quote, My body trembles. My lips quiver. My legs tremble beneath me. This army that is approaching is invading. It's inevitable. He's saying it's bad news. He's going to die. I mean, him and those that he loves, everything they know is going to be turned upside down. And he paints this scenario, the fig tree's not going to blossom and the fruit's not going to be on the vine. That's, that's hunger. That's famine. The produce of the olive is going to fail. The fields are going to yield no food. That's, that's not just food, but that's your business. That's your livelihood. That's your income wiped out. You're suddenly bankrupt. He's saying the flock is going to be cut off from the fold. There's going to be no herd in the stalls. That's his investments. That's his assets. I'm, I'm an auditor, an accountant. This balance sheet has gone to zero. Like this guy is saying, this is the inevitable consequence of invasion. But with no grounds to be positive and all grounds to be fearful, he throws out two really important statements. And they both start, yet I will. 
So the first of them you would have heard is, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And then, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take my joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread in high places. So you could say he has moved from fear and confusion to strength and joy in God. In between, what happens? Well, he starts with a reminder of what God's done. And so that's the first thing I was talking about on the slide. It says about trusting God's faithfulness, is recalling how faithful God has been already. So he gets, gets busy doing that. And we didn't read the first uh, 12 verses of this chapter, but that's what he does for those 12 verses, as well as for 13 and 14 and 15, is he recalls what God has done. So he's not in denial. He's not sitting there with this invading army coming saying, I'm just going to pretend this is all fine. He's very realistic. He's very sober in his assessment. But he says, I'm going to write a song about the faithfulness of God. And I imagine it is a bit like putting a big stake in the ground, like a big post, a big solid anchor to say, I'm trembling, but I'm going to put this stake in the ground to hold on to. God has been faithful. Up to now, generation after generation, God has been a deliverer, a savior. He has been faithful. And so he is stabilizing himself, finding joy and strength in the Lord by reminding himself of what God has done. And that helps to just bring the confusion and the fear down, taking his strength and joy out of the circumstance and putting them in who God is and what he's done. So let's just go through it for a second. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, crushed the wicked, pierced the warrior, trampled the sea. So trampled the sea, he's saying miracles of the past, like in Exodus. So you've got this, this opening of the Red Sea, but also other miracles where there's the Jordan and the Nile and, and God is doing miraculous signs and wonders. You've pierced warriors. You know, you've defeated armies on our behalf before, he's saying to God. He's singing to God. You've crushed the wicked time after time. He's bought victory. He's been a deliverer. And then it's sort of summed up in, you went out for the salvation of your people. God, we didn't ever save ourselves. You went out. You went out in front of us. You went out for us to save our people. So he's developed this trust in God's faithfulness. He's in this awful, frankly, just just like a soul-crushing position waiting for defeat. But he says, God, you've never abandoned us. And so here's how I'd summarize it for you and for me and for Habakkuk. God's past faithfulness can assure us of his future faithfulness. And that steadies us in rough times. It steadies us. It anchors us. And so let's apply it to us. We're not waiting for an invading army, but this year has been rough. And this isn't me pointing the finger at anyone here, but What sort of crisis moments might you be going through at the moment? Well, I know for me, this last 12 months, more, last 18 months has been really tough on my marriage. It's hard when you're at home all the time. It's hard when people are unwell. It is a hard season that we've been through for marriages. You might feel this morning, you know what? My crisis isn't an invading army, but it's my marriage. You might feel this morning, we've got a lot of parents in the room, you know, bringing up my kids. That's the crisis at the moment. What's happening with them? What's going on with them? You might feel like, you know, this last 12 months, like I have, where I'm working at home so much. It's stressful. Work is stressful. It has been stressful, but you're in like a pressure cooker of not being able to go anywhere. You might feel this morning like, 
work and stress and pressure is a crisis you're feeling. I've known times where the bottom has just fallen out of my finances, our finances, and we just looked at it and think, my gosh, it feels like a crisis. Like it's gut-wrenching, it's like, oh my goodness. And then maybe when you're praying for someone to be healed or you're praying for yourself to be healed, it can feel a crisis. And why do I say that? We want to apply this passage and these principles, moving from fear and anxiety of the future, actually moving to a place of strength and joy in God in our situations. And so whether you are a mature believer or a new believer, let's fight to recall stories of what God has done in our lives so far. So if you're here this morning, let's think about if you're a new Christian. Um, this, this happens. You might be a new Christian and you've been praying and God's been answering your prayers. Life's been good. Circumstances are fine. The deal you've got with God is going well. And then for the first time, you hit some tough waters. You hit a problem and you think, hey, God, you didn't answer my prayer first time. Or you didn't answer my prayer the way you, I wanted you to. You might be a new Christian and what might be happening to you is just your first experience of going through a difficult time or a crisis. And the temptation is to say, I'm just going to revert back to what I know. Well, God's not doing the deal the way I want him to. I'll revert back to a life without him. I won't include him in my thoughts or in my heart or in what I'm doing. Let me say to you this morning, if you're a new Christian and you're going through a tough time, God isn't abandoning you. Don't abandon him. He's not leaving you alone. Keep drawing close to him. And you might just think, well, what are times where God's delivered for me? It might not be dramatic. That's fine. Maybe you came on a Sunday morning and someone preached a sermon or bought a contribution and it was like it spoke directly to you. That was good. God was there for you. He was speaking to you. That's good. Hold on to that. Hold on to other things. Maybe someone prayed for you recently in a tough time and you think it was like God was there delivering for me, reaching out to me, speaking to me. Recall If you're a new believer, recall what God has already done in your life. Hold on to those positives. It's stabilizing. You might be a mature believer. It might be the other way around. You know this theory. You could do this preach that it's good to remind yourself of what God has done. But it doesn't necessarily make it easy to do. If you're in a crisis, sometimes you lose perspective. (sighs) My gosh, some of those things, marriage, kids, finances, jobs, stress, they can just be overwhelming. But let me remind you, if you are in a crisis moment, part of the application from this morning is to do what Habakkuk does. Maybe you're not going to write a song and insist that it's done in stringed instruments, but you're going to stabilize yourself. The faithfulness of God in the past is going to give you assurance of his faithfulness in the future. So look at that big picture. Think about high points, miracles, breakthroughs, experiences you've had. Remind yourself of them. So for me and Kez, we were in a hospital um, five years ago with our son. And when he was born, he'd suffered, we were told, serious brain damage. And we were told he wasn't going to develop in the way that we'd expected. And that actually some of the developmental issues he was going to have would be severe. And we were sitting there with Micah, and we weren't being heroes. You know, we didn't do anything special. There was no superhuman, amazing, super spiritual thing going on. But we found that God brought back to our hearts and to our minds that he had done good in the past and we could hold on to him. And it was powerful for us. It was obvious as we prayed, God had helped us to conceive, that God had helped us with healing in the past. We thought, and it came to mind, that we prayed for other kids and they'd been healed. And we just thought, you know what? 
what was stabilizing us in that moment, by a work of the Holy Spirit, was just God recalling to our minds his faithfulness in the past. Craig Rochelle, who's a author and pastor in the US, says, I pray one day that you'll have known his goodness and faithfulness in enough yesterdays to trust him with all of your tomorrows. And that's one of the keys about strength and joy in God is that it's about the yesterday moments of what God's done. Okay, so let's get back in the text. Habakkuk is also able to rely on and trust in God's sovereignty and his timing. Now that's different to his faithfulness. It is different. God is also, as well as being faithful and ever-present, he is sovereign and his timing is actually right. (laughs) It is better than our timing. So he says, I will take joy and strength in God. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord, take joy in the God of my salvation. But he's saying that immediately after saying, the crops are going to fall to bits. My investments, my assets, my income is going to drop out. But he says, yet, even if you don't change the circumstances, I will trust in you. I'll find joy and strength in you. If you don't change things, I'll have joy in you. I don't know if anybody here, well, I know one or two here, in your job you deal with contracts. Maybe short contracts, a few pages, maybe like Mark or a few others. How many pages are your contracts, Mark? Hundreds Hundreds of pages. (laughs) Mark's job, he says, is really boring. I'm saying that on YouTube. Everyone's going to know that now. Um, You might deal with contracts. And I sometimes think, you know, when I come to God and I've got a good plan for my life, when I'm trying to be sovereign and not let him be sovereign, when I'm pretty sure I know the right timing, it's a lot like me having a 200-page contract. And I've worked out all the terms and conditions, all the phases and all the timings. And what I'm coming to God in my, I'm going to say prayer. I'm not sure it really qualifies as prayer. It's like, do you want to just sign this? Are you happy just to approve this? That would be great. It would be really handy if you would. And what Habakkuk is doing is saying, you know what good timing for Habakkuk is? That God deals with this army and deals with them and, and judges them and gives them what they deserve before they get to invasion, like halfway. That would be great, but he doesn't say, do that. He says, God, actually, whatever the circumstances, I find my joy and my strength in you. And that's very different to my type of prayer, isn't it? It's very different to saying, well, if you give me exactly the terms of this, you know, terms and conditions of the life that I want, you know, I'm not trusting in the sovereignty of God. I'm not trusting in his timing. And so Habakkuk says, yeah, I hear about this army and I'm going to trust your timing. He also says this thing about the deer. I don't know if you noticed that and you're wondering what on earth does that mean? So he says, you make my feet like deer. You make me tread on my high places. So deer and some animals have got this really cool knack of getting up into really, really high positions on mountains and treading on those high places. What Habakkuk is saying with this is, God You are sovereign. Your timing is right. And in a crisis, you actually help me get to a higher place spiritually where I can see your perspective. You take me up. Even in a dark place, spiritually, you're you're bringing me to this new depth or height or richness of relationship with you where I can see what you're doing. And sometimes that doesn't happen when things are good. We don't really make ourselves aware of his sovereignty or his timing because everything's fine. But when things are dark in a crisis moment, we are sometimes more aware 
that we've been taken up into a sense of spiritual perspective, of seeing he's sovereign, he knows what he's doing, his timing is right. And so it's, I don't want you to think there's different uh, grades or hierarchy as a believer. If you're, if you're a Christian here, even if you're just looking in, thinking, how does Christianity work? There's no A-list Christians and B-list Christians all the way down to Z-list Christians. There's not a hierarchy, but there is sometimes something different about a Christian who over the years has been through enough tough times that they've had some of those dear moments at the top of a mountain in a crisis, seeing like, oh God, I don't know, but I know that you know. And I'm not in control, but I'm okay. I'm giving that burden to you. This is a God-sized burden in my crisis that I'm giving to you. I remember a story. I mean, I was preparing this, and it came to mind. I was feeling embarrassed about this story. And um, I've got an uncle, and uh, he uh, was one of my mentors growing up, a guy that I love and I trust, a very mature Christian. And uh, I'd gone to him and said, I've been offered this position to move from my hometown to go and take a role that I thought I was born for. I don't know, when you're 18, you think you're born for things, don't you? But, you know, I just thought, oh, this is perfect for me. And so I'm going to come to your house. I said to my uncle, and we're going to pray and just double check with God that he's given us the green light. So I went and prayed. It's very similar to my contract analogy. We start to pray, and, and he says, I feel like what God's saying is just wait and draw close to me. And if you could just see what was going through the script in my head. It was just like, nah. I've come here for green lights. That's all I'm here for. I'm at your house literally for you to say, I I feel God saying, do exactly what you want to do. (laughs) And it's embarrassing to think that that's an element of my relationship with God or an element of my heart. The arrogance to think that my timing is right or I'm sovereign. No, even in a good time, like that wasn't a crisis for me, but even in a good time, You know, often what God is saying is just wait and spend some time with me. Maybe you found that. Maybe you've experienced that, that in a crisis, our priority is getting resolution, isn't it? It's getting a quick answer. Can you fix this as soon as possible, please, God? But actually, sometimes God's priority in our relationship with him, in our time in his presence, is to say, why don't you slow down? Why don't we spend some time together? Why don't we have some intimacy, some relationship? And we'll get to the answer later. And it's frustrating. It is frustrating. But it's the sovereignty and it's the timing of God. And Habakkuk seems to have cracked that. He seems to be trusting not just in the faithfulness of God, but in the timing and the sovereignty of God. And God's priorities and my priorities in prayer are often very different. A way of thinking about it is this guy, Dave Matisse, who's an American author and pastor. He says, can we rejoice in God? Not in our supplies, our health, our security, or the defeat of the enemy. There is one utter security, one haven for true joy in the most challenging of journeys, and that's God himself. He holds himself out to us as he removes our other joys. Will we lean anew into him? Uh, That might not be for everyone this morning, but for some people this morning in a crisis moment, you're realizing what God is doing is just withdrawing some joys for a season, for a period, and he's offering himself. And that helps us to realize our joy and our strength has been in our circumstances because they've changed and we don't have joy and strength anymore. But what he's saying is, no, I have joy and strength in me, just in me, in who I am. Okay, let's just take a pit stop. So we're going to change what's on the screen. And uh, we've got fear and confusion about the future. 
I've talked about that. We've got joy and strength in God. I've talked about that. We've talked about trusting in his faithfulness, his sovereignty and his timing. I think there are some people here this morning and when they see the words joy and strength in God, they say, nah, that's not me. That's never been me. I'm not someone who has joy and strength in God. So you might be saying, I have got here this morning and people are raising their hands and they seem genuinely happy when they praise God. They've got something of gratitude and deep relationship with God. And that's not me. I'm not there. That's never happened to me before. And let me say, that's absolutely fine. We love it that you're here this morning. But the way that things change to the point of having deep joy and strength in God is a personal experience of Jesus Christ. Not a visiting of church or a distant observation of Christians or of the Bible, but it is Jesus Christ. And so my story and the story of dozens of people here to encourage you if you feel like, you know, that's not me, I've never had that, is that we are not here at church because we're good people. We are not here at church because our lives are together. It's much more that we're messed up people who've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so for you this morning, you think joy and strength in God, I'd say to you, have you met Jesus Christ? You won't be able to have a hands up, I love you, I'm grateful, I'm blown away by you experience until you've met Jesus Christ, until you've encountered him. And that's something truly life-changing. And you might actually look at the left-hand side of the screen, fear and confusion about the future, and maybe that does resonate with you. It's a time, 2021 is a time of real stress. It's been a time of loneliness for lots. It's been a time of being burnt out, worn down, anxious. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. That's a promise of Jesus. And whilst that's on the screen, we're just going to keep it there for a sec. I really feel like there are some people this morning and you're here. And when you see that, you think, that's what I need. That's what I need. I'm I'm weary and I'm broken. I'm burnt out. And I just need the rest that Jesus promises me. So what can you do to respond? What could you do if you're not a Christian, if you're not following Jesus? What can you do to respond? My first answer always to that question is come back next week. Come back next week. Just keep coming to church. You'll keep hearing about Jesus. You'll keep finding out about Jesus. You'll keep meeting people who know Jesus. But keep coming back. The second is Mark is going to take a moment in in just a second to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer. And you might want to pray, Jesus, this guy Rich and these other guys, they say they've experienced you. I just want to know that you're real. Jesus, show me you're real. that's That's a simple prayer. I would bank on it that Jesus will show you that he's real, that he'll do something in your life and you'll see that he's real. So maybe that's your prayer this morning. After this whole sermon, the application point for you is just to pray, Jesus, show me you're real. For others of you, that whole thing of having weariness and wanting to know the rest in Jesus, well, that's the prayer that you pray. Jesus, I want to find rest in you. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. So Mark's going to lead us in a prayer in a minute for that. All right, we're going to just wrap up by looking at some practical steps. So we've talked about having our joy and strength in God. 
And so we want to look at practical steps to divert our joy and strength away from our circumstances and into God. You up for that? Taking a few things away? Who here likes to take notes? Yeah? This is the bit where you take notes, which you have to look at on Monday morning. What was I meant to do differently? What am I meant to do next? So this is a bit of a to-do list for you. But let me tell you, having a joy and strength in God is good. Fear and confusion about the future is not. But sometimes we've got to do some stuff about it. We can't just sit around and hope that it happens. Okay, start by praying. And for some people, that means start praying for the first time. So let's not kid ourselves. Not everybody sitting in this room is a regular prayer. That's cool. There's no shame here. I'm not saying that to condemn anybody, but we all start somewhere, don't we? Sometimes we just got to start praying. You might be here and you're not in the habit of praying or you're new to prayer. Let this morning be a kickstart to get you praying. We can go back to the last slide. Um, so get praying. Our vision for this church isn't that we have perfect prayers, pious people with elaborate prayers who are just perfect in every way. No, our vision for this church is that all of us say, my prayer life is a work in progress and I'm working on it. It's better to be raw and honest in prayer than just to be these, you know, pious, elaborate, eloquent, finished people. No, my prayer life's a work in progress. As a leadership team, our prayer lives are a work in progress. Your prayer life can be a work in progress. Just be honest about it. Let's work on it. Let's not be fake. Habakkuk, Habakkuk challenges us to pray, not just with the intention of getting results, but the intention of getting to know God more. So pray like that. So here's four things to do. Put it in the diary. If you're not used to praying, put it in the diary. When this week are you going to pray and where? Have you got an iPhone or a smartphone? Can you set a reminder? Yes, you can. Let's get practical. Let's start to think about when we're going to pray. Book in to pray with a friend. This is a week of prayer. Book in to pray with a friend. It really helps when someone else is there because it means you can't just sit on your phone the whole time. <laughs> you know, book in to pray with a friend. Don't just say to someone, I'm going to pray with you. Say, all right, well, let's pray. Let's get on with it. And then, so that's two, three. Don't make it complicated. You already have things to pray about. Don't wait until you've got other things to pray about. Pray about this morning's sermon. Pray about the things that you found challenging. Pray about what's happening in your day. Don't overcomplicate it. And the fourth thing I'd say is all of us, however mature we are, however our prayer life is going, be more real with God. Be more real. Be more honest. Be more raw. Don't come with the phrases you always say. Tell them how it really is. Habakkuk's a great example of that. Okay, practical steps. If you're in a crisis this morning, there's some practical steps I'd like you to think about. Today, as we worship God, come to God as you are. The first thing in a crisis, I would say, if you haven't done it already, just tell God how it is. This sucks. This is terrible. This is the worst case scenario. This is falling apart. Just tell him how it is. To take an opportunity to do that this morning, just let it all out. And then remind yourself what God has done. Remember that we talked about having that stake in the ground, that anchor. Remind yourself about what God has done and, and let someone else help you do it. If you're in a real crisis moment, talk to someone this morning and say, we need to sit down for some, some time or have a phone call and I need you just to help me remember how good God is, how faithful God is. Because it will be a stabilizing influence on you. And top tip, if you're reading the Bible at the moment, you're in a crisis and you're reading a difficult book to understand, pause that book Find some stuff in the Bible that is about God delivering, God coming through, God being faithful. Go to some of your favorite books. Go to some easy books to understand. That's okay. Don't stay in a really tricky book if you're in a crisis. Just find your way to some promises of God. 
And then how can you trust in God's sovereignty and timing in a crisis? Practically, slow down in the presence of God. So if you're in a crisis and you need to find out his sovereignty and his timing, slow right down. Just wait. Just listen. He's drawing you into this relationship. He's taking some stuff away and he's giving him you, giving you him. Just slow right down. It's hard to do, but try and carve out some time in a crisis just to get close to God. And then finally, who here isn't in a crisis? Praise God, you're not in a crisis. Good times. What are the practical applications for you other than prayer? Well, why don't you challenge yourself in this not crisis time by asking yourself this? How are you or how am I putting my joy and strength in circumstances that one day is going to come back to bite me? So where in life are you only happy when your circumstances are right? Do you need your finances to be good to feel strong? Do you need work to be going well to feel joy? Do you need relations, relationships to all be tidy to feel a sense of rest in life? What's that saying? It's saying that later on in a crisis moment, you're not going to be able to do what Habakkuk does because your joy and your strength is in circumstances, not in God himself. So ask yourself that challenging question whilst times are good. Maybe find a friend. Or do it in an accountability three and ask this question. Ask it, get your spouse to ask you it. I'll get Kez to ask me this later. Where in life is my joy bound up in my circumstances, not in God? And let's resolve that when we're times are good. And then finally, Matthew Henry, this quote that we flashed up, he sums it up by saying, those who, when they were full, enjoyed God in all. When they are emptied and impoverished, can enjoy all in God. And they can sit upon a heap of the ruins of all their creature comforts and even then sing the praise and glory of God. So this is the wrap-up of the sermon. If when times are good, you're enjoying God in the good things, not just the things themselves, you'll be fairly confident that your joy and your strength is in God, not in your circumstances. And then... You can sit on the ruins of all the comforts of your life and you'll still enjoy all in God. I think it's such a helpful way of looking at it, but it gives us all something to do because even if we're not in a crisis and we're sitting in a heap of ruins, we've got work to do to make sure our joy is not in our circumstances, but is in God. We're going to worship and this passage has been a song, hasn't it? So this is a good way for us to pick it up. If you're in a crisis, let me remind you this morning, don't leave this room without just letting it all out. Tell God what's going on. Find someone else to talk to about it. And let me just say, the last time I was preaching, I was preaching out of a different book of the Bible and we were talking about being salt and light and being a counterculture. As I'm preaching this, I'm just thinking, what a counterculture it is to our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbours, for them to see that our joy and strength is not in the material, is not in the circumstantial, it's not in the temporary, but actually is elevated above that. That we can be like those deer in these high places saying, you know what, I can see it from God's perspective. It doesn't matter if I've got good stuff. It doesn't matter if things are going well. My joy, my strength is in God. That is a counterculture. That is a city on a hill. That is a witness to those around us. That is really different. God, we just want to come to you now 
as Toby leads us in this next song. Some of us, we're going to slow right down in our crisis. We're just going to come as we are. Some of us, we're going to ask that challenging question as we sing. My joy in you. It's my joy and my strength in you, God. But for all of us, God, we want to thank you. We can find rest in you. You're offering rest for the weary soul this morning. We invite you, as you invite us to that rest, we accept your invitation. As we sing, we want to bring our all to you. Amen.